Well, good morning to you. If you hear the mic doing weird things, it's because I asked him to turn it up louder because I lost my voice yesterday, and I'm praying that I make it through. Uh, but God's good, so we'll make it. So last time I was in this pulpit was actually almost a year ago on March 1st. Does anybody kind of remember what happened after March 1st of 2020? See, I left and see what happened? Sorry, that wasn't really right. Um, actually, um, I have just a privilege to be here with you. A lot has changed in a year, but one thing has not changed. Our great God. We'll get this figured out, I'm sure. Today I have the privilege of kicking off our series um, called Lasting Impact. Now, I know that's something we all would aspire to have. And during this series, we're going to be sharing with you what God's Word says about how money relates to having a lasting impact, even an eternal impact. Something so mundane as money, if managed well, can help us create a lasting impact. But if it's not managed well, can make us fools. Well, money is an important subject in Scripture. It's always been. Jesus talked a lot about it. A lot of the gospel writers talked about it. Um, a lot of the other uh, authors of the Bible, God asked them to include it. So why? In fact, God, at the very beginning, when he gave us the Ten Commandments, understood that man is tendency to have a covetous heart. And what did he have to do? He had to put a prohibition against coveting. Well, Colossians 3.15 says that covetousness is greed, and greed is, an, is idolatry. See, God knew that we, if left to our own devices, would covet and be greedy and put something else on the worship platform of our life other than God. And he said, don't do that. So in one way, this is going to be a difficult passage for us. I thank Paul for giving me the difficult passages. Um, it's a difficult passage because, believe it or not, the pursuit, the... Um, Drive for money and things in America is almost one of our idols. It's one of the American idols, right? But it's not the TV show. It's American Idol is money. And so when I talk about this, and God's Word talks about this, it steps on the toes of American philosophy. So if you feel a little bit trod on today, it's not me. God has said this. Okay? So I'm just going to say what God said. Now, the Bible clearly teaches us that having money is not the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. According to 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Has you, have you seen that? where somebody seemed to be on the right track and they ended up in the weeds because they pursued money? Well, as we see in Jesus' warnings today, 
Uh, he's not talking about being rich. He's talking about covetousness or greed and not being rich towards God. So some questions that I came up with as we thought about this is, um, have you ever thought, how much money would it take you to be completely satisfied? Or how about this? You're walking down the street and you find a lottery ticket, because I know nobody buys one. But anyway, we, we find the lottery ticket, and the odds aren't much different for finding it than buying it. But you find a lottery ticket, you take it to your local store, and you find out it's worth $5 million. How do you spend it? What's on your mind? Or how about this one? Do I ever think, do you ever find yourself thinking, if I just had this one more thing, that's all it would take for me to be happy? Well, then this lesson's for you. One of the richest men in our country, John D. Rockefeller, at one time owned, it was estimated, over 1% of America's total wealth. One man. If you put that in today's terms, that would equal about $2.7 trillion. Can you imagine waking up and looking in your bank account at so many zeros, and you have $2.7 trillion? That's 2.7 million millions, right? Well, at the height of his wealth, he was quoted as saying something. He was asked a question, how much money does it take for a man to be happy? And his response one more dollar. You'd think 2.7 million would be a trillion, would be enough, wouldn't you? One more dollar, 2.7 trillion and one? Well, that shows what God says according to Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Have you been dissatisfied with your income? One thing to check is, would you ever be satisfied with your income? Well, God says that the money or the stuff money buys will never bring us satisfaction. And um, as we take a look at our passage, may we all hear what Jesus is telling all of us about the proper place and the healthy mindset of money and wealth in our life. The very real threat, the lurking danger of greed to all of us and the eternal importance of being rich towards God. Um, today's message titled, Ensure Your Financial Planning Includes Eternity, and it's taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Let's all turn there now. Luke 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Now I see... Not as many pages as phones. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. As you're finding the passage, just let me share. As we read and jump into this passage, we, we have to get ourselves grounded a little bit. Jesus has been talking um, with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's been scathing them. He's been pronouncing woes upon them. He's announcing that their minds are not right. They're they're saying one thing and doing another. They don't really have the love of God in their heart. 
In chapter 12, we read that Jesus is in the middle of a giant crowd. It says of thousands of people. And it says that they were trampling one another. What? You're going to a religious festival and they're trampling one another? What, were they greedy for the best seats? What was going on? Do they want to be close enough to touch him? I don't really know. It, it doesn't tell us why people were trampling one another. And then Jesus was talking and teaching these thousands of people the importance of the trusting God through trial and that don't fear men who can kill the body only, but fear God who can kill the body and soul. And he's going through this wonderful theological teaching. And right in the middle of this, some guy jumps up. And let's jump in and read. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And this is the word of God. So this passage begins with an interrupting request from a man in the crowd who seems distressed that somebody in his family is not treating him fairly and giving him all the money he deserves from the inheritance. Now, he interrupts Jesus. I mean, it has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about at that point. And he says, hey, make this guy divide the inheritance. Now, that seems like an odd question to us to ask your Sunday school teacher. But Jesus, being a rabbi or a teacher, Dividing property in, in the, this time period was really a matter of the Pentateuch. It was, it was described by God, by Moses, how to divide inheritances. And who, was the, who are the experts in the law? The rabbis, the teachers. So they asked the teacher, how, you do it. Now, we're not really sure this man's motivation was right, but Jesus could detect it. He said this man was greedy. That's why it started the whole story. Now, that's interesting as he said this, he said, man, I loved it. Which is, that's kind of like saying us saying, mister, what's your point? Right? He was not necessarily happy with this interruption, but he took advantage of it and started to teach. He saw a teaching moment that was related to greed that everybody needed to hear. And look at Jesus' method of timely teaching. Um, he was answering the man, but he was talking to the crowd. And he said this, right? So Jesus taught them with, first with an instruction, then a clarifying parable, and then with a warning. I love it. It's a little sandwich there that he made for him. He gave him the instruction. 
He illustrated with a parable, and he ended it with a warning. And here's what he said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of, or does not defined by, or does not equal having stuff, an abundance of possessions. And from this we really see, pay attention to the, even the exclamation points in your Bibles. Jesus was saying, watch out! Be careful. Be vigilant. There is an enemy that would consume you and it's called greed. And it doesn't warn you. It can sneak up on you. You could have not a problem with greed yesterday or the day before, but guess what? Tomorrow... It can stealthily come in. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Stay on guard. Wake up. And he says, be careful of all kinds of greed. Now, this was really interesting. Has anybody ever heard of all kinds of greed? Don't we normally associate greed with money? We just think being greedy means wanting more money, right? Well, Jesus says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Well, what other kinds of greed are there? Well, what is greed? Well, first we have to understand that greed is not a financial condition. It's a heart condition. Greed is nothing to do with how much money you have or how much money you make or how much money you want. It has to do with our heart and what satisfies our heart and what our heart desires. Now, when we look at this, I said a simple definition to me of greed is the insatiable desire for more. To use where? On yourself. See, nobody would say that a fundraiser is being greedy if he wants more money to support the campaign. He's not using it for himself. He wants God's glory. He wants this thing to fly. But if I want more money for me, that could be greed. And that's my definition that I want to work with today, is more for me. More for me. Um, do you know that um, we're born with this problem? Um, this, this unhappiness with what we have. Um, what is one of the first words your children learn, but you never had to teach them. You got it? Mine. We start from the womb. Greedy. And why do kids want something? Is it always because they want to play with it? No, they just don't want you to play with it. Right? Uh, It's like, I want both cookies now because I want to eat one now and one's for later. If you don't have any cookies, that's your problem. Uh, It's like, do parents have to say, Billy, Billy, you're sharing again. Stop that. Mm -mm. We start from the womb being greedy, and it's a desire for more for me. And it really also implies with it that we're never going to be satisfied with what we have. It also says that I am not really attuned, alert, or care about the needs of others. Because what I have isn't for them. Why would I need to care about their needs? Okay, so greed has this sense of self-centeredness. More for me. So what did Jesus say again? All kinds of greed. Well, 
all kinds of greed. Are there other things we could be greedy for? Are we sometimes maybe greedy for power? Greedy for time? Greedy for security? We can't let something go because we need all the security we can get. We put four deadbolts. We put Anyway, the point is, we like to guard our safeguard, our finances. We safeguard our life. And we think that that is a great focus. I need more. And so Jesus is saying, you know, you've you got all sorts of greed. You're being greedy for your reputation. You're making sure that that's going to look good no matter what. You're going to be greedy for positional power. You're going to do whatever you can to be in charge because nobody's going to tell me what to do. I don't want to offend any personal business owner who owns his own business, but one of the dangers of that is one of the reasons I've often heard from people who want to quit their real job to go to work for themselves is, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Ever heard that? See, we have to be careful that our desires are not motivated by greed for power. Because what did Satan tell Adam and Eve? You don't want God telling you what's right and wrong, do you? You need to decide that for yourself. That's been our problem from the beginning, people. This greed thing. Well, I think another thing that happens with greed is it starts talking to you and lying to you. Did you know that greed will lie to you? It'll say, if you don't have this, you will never be happy. If you don't acquire me, I'm real life. If you don't have this thing, this money, this job, this car, this situation, then it's, life is going to be totally miserable for you. Those are lies, people. Because Jesus says, be on guard. Don't listen. Life does not consist of stuff. It fades away. It's gone. Well, our advertisers certainly know that that's how we operate, doesn't it? What do you think every ad is aimed to make us think? Without their thing, we're just not going to be satisfied. You need it. Well, it's certainly not in the abundance of possessions, and it's not he who dies with the most toys wins. We've seen that bumper sticker, right? Have you ever seen it? He who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys is dead. And if he's not rich towards God, he's eternally lost. Well, what does Jesus mean by a man's life is not in, uh, consist of? Well, let me go quickly with this. I think there's two ways to look at this. When he says, your life does not consist of, means life is not having stuff, it's knowing me. It could be right now, right? Your life right now, and this earth, is never going to be satisfied with things. It's going to be satisfied only by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and a relationship with God. Well, it also could mean, Jesus could say, the life man's life, his real life, his eternal life is not going to be figured out by things and possessions and money because you will never buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. And it's an insult and affront to God to think you can. If anybody thinks there's a, a, a price greater than the earth to pay for our salvation, even if we gave a thousand worlds, it would not equal the Son of God dying on a cross for us. 
right? So we can't even begin to compare our stuff to some sort of internal entrance to kingdom of God. Nor can we say that if I put my focus and my hope and my, my joy and my money now, that I'll ever be satisfied. You do know that many, 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 in fact, uh, sadly too many, rich people are the ones that are committing suicide. Dentists, doctors, finding it futile to have lots of stuff but are absent in their souls for God. Money will never satisfy. Well, what did Jesus say was real life? Well, in John 17, 3, he told us, real life, this is real life, that they know you, Father, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That is the only thing we need for real life. Did you know that? Jesus said that I know you need everything else, and I'll provide that if you seek me first. Right? Did he not say that? Okay, so if you seek God first, and yet that is your real life, you will never be disappointed. Never. Well, so my first point that I think I, I don't know, big ideas, small ideas. Um, a first point I want you to take home with you is real life cannot ever be found in the pursuit of money or things. Real life is only found by knowing God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Don't be deceived. Be on guard. When you start desiring things more than God, stop. Reflect on this point. Even if you get what you think you want, you will not be satisfied. Pastor Phil used to say something years ago. I remember it was many buildings ago. And he said, if you're not satisfied right now with what you have, you will never be satisfied with what you want. Because as soon as you get what you want, it will be what you have again. And there you are again. And the cycle repeats. If you're not satisfied right now, if you're not content with what you have, you will never be content with what you want. Well, as we look at the parable, I think it would help us to find that there's four parts to this parable. Um, I like to tee it up. Jesus liked to teach. He was a great teacher. I wish I had his teaching skills. He, he knew how to hold a crowd. He knew how to make a point, And he knew how to be succinct. Something I need help with. Anyway, um, what Jesus' main point here is, I think there's four things we can understand. We know that God called this man in this parable a fool. But I'd like to, us to kind of break it apart and find out where did the wheels come off the tracks? What made him a fool? So the first uh, section, the first movement of this parable is what I call the situation. The second is the decision. The third, the verdict. And the fourth, the warning. So it's the situation, the decision, the verdict, the warning. Well, as Jesus began, let's look at verse 16. It says here, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Teed up the story. Well, what does that tell us? Well, he said the farmer was a rich man. Well, in an agrarian society like this, how do you become a rich man? 
You have to have the blessing of God in your life. Do you make plants grow? Do you make it rain? I mean, all your hard work doesn't make it rain. You could plant as much seed as you want. If God doesn't germinate it, you're stuck. If God doesn't rain on it, you're doomed. If there's sun, not sunshine to make it grow, you're out of luck. So this man obviously was a rich man because God had blessed him. And it didn't say in this passage that he was a crooked rich man, did it? He just said there was a man that became rich. Do you think there were other rich men in the Bible that were godly? What do you think about Abraham? What do you think about Job? Well, we think of the passage that says, he who was rich became poor. Do you think God sits in heaven being poor? No, he's rich. Okay, so richness is not the point of Jesus' parable here. The rich man had a crop that produced bountifully. It wasn't his fault it produced bountifully, and it wasn't a sin to be rich. That's not his point. He's not saying the main problem here is we got a rich man. That's the problem. That's not the problem. God's blessing made him rich. In fact, Deuteronomy, I think Paul let me know that Deuteronomy uh, shared that basically God said in Deuteronomy 7, if you pay attention to his laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will bless your fruit of your womb and the crops of your land. This is, God is just following his word. He's keeping his promise. This man obviously was following the law and he's being blessed. So, so being rich is not the problem. So we move to act two. It was just a fact, by the way. So if you're rich, don't panic here. Okay? If you're not rich, don't panic. It's not the amount of money that you have is what Jesus' point is. The decision. Well, Jesus tells us the man received a bountiful or overwhelming harvest, and seeing uh, his harvest, the farmer started a conversation with himself. Now, I love some of the older translations that says he calls himself different things, but in these passages, he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I'll store my grain. I'll store my goods. I'll say to myself. Okay, so the first part of this, he's tearing down his barns and building bigger ones. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Is that, is that the sinful part? Is that what Jesus' point? No. No. Okay, now, we start getting a clue that this man might be the fool he, we, we're here later he was declared when he starts talking to himself this way. And he, what they say, he who has himself for a lawyer has a fool for an eternity or something. We know that representing only yourself to yourself is not a wise thing to do. Um, that said, the man's heart totally hasn't been revealed yet. Um, but I don't think building a bigger barn was Jesus' main problem and, or main idea of his parable. Let me just help you illustrate this and why you might think you disagree with me. Let's just say you have a rich, long-lost, eccentric relative that dropped by your house some evening and said, by the way, um, I want to give you this gift. It's a suitcase full of $3 million. And you're thinking, whoa, is this a gift or what? Yeah, gift. Uh, see you later. It's all yours. 
Now, does anybody going to blame this guy if he goes to the bank the next day and rents a safety deposit box to put that in to guard it while he figures out what he wants to do with it? Is that the problem? So this man had a crop that has a shelf life if it's not protected. He built a barn to protect it. Is that the problem? No. We might find out why he built the barn is the problem, but the barn itself wasn't the problem. So we are supposed to be good stewards, right? We're supposed to protect what's entrusted to us, right? Okay, so let's do that. So he's going to do that. So Jesus now said there's a man. He got a good crop. He was rich. Not a problem. He built a barn. Not the problem. Let's find out what the problem is. And he says in verse 19, here's the problem. And I will say to my soul, that's really what the word is, I will say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now it becomes clear that the man had only been thinking about himself the whole time. He wasn't thinking about others, how he could meet other people's needs. And I think there's a, a real point here. It's, it's very unusual for someone to say, I talk to my soul in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, that's not so uncommon with King David. King David says, soul, why are you cast down within me? Don't you know God's on the throne and is going to take care of you? you and Jesus used to, uh, I mean, David used to talk to his heart instead of listen to his heart. Remember that? I think Philip used to talk about that. There's people who listen to their heart versus people who talk to their heart. David talked to his heart and said, shape up. You can't think this way about this eternal God of mine. Okay? And so this man, though, listened to his soul and told his soul, which means he's really not talking to his mind. He's talking to his eternal self. The soul is what's eternal about us, right? It's not this, right? Our soul is what's eternal. And so he's talking to his eternal self, telling him, I, the commander-in-chief of my eternal self, have got this plan. And we are going to eat, drink, and be merry. It's a good plan. Well, I don't think that's really what God said. And sometimes we can say the same thing, though. We could say, hey, my 401k is overflowing. And now I can finally leave that rat race and retire and do what I want, where I want, how I want, with who I want, for as long as I want. I've heard people say that as they left my beloved PG&E. That's exactly what they said. Um, they were tired of listening to other people. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Well, the problem is, is he let this man and those people left a key ingredient out of their plans. It says here, first and foremost, we see that the most critical person he left out was God. God, he didn't thank God for his abundance. He didn't ask God, God, why have you given me so much? I'm already rich. In fact, I am so rich, I don't even need to sell this crop to build a bigger barn. I'm rich, rich. Why did you give me so much? Was it to improve my retirement plan? He didn't ask God. And I have to tell you, bad things happen, we'll see, when you leave God out of your plans. 
bad things will happen if you leave God out of your plans. Second, his words indicated he was in charge. Was he in charge? Well, he said, I have many years. How many years did he have? Less than a day. Uh, He said, I have all I need. He didn't spend anything he had. He said, I will decide what to do with my money. Someone else decided what to do with his money. He was wrong on all three counts. God stepped in. Well, third thing, God exposed his priorities, and he didn't consider that God might have blessed him just for the purpose of blessing those around him. That was not even part of his equation. Is that part of yours? Has God given you so much that he wants you to have your eyes open to see who else might need it? Or is he trying to improve the, the, the kind of cars you drive and try to improve the vacation spots you go to on retirement? Tough questions. According to First uh, Timothy 6.18, one of the verses we used last campaign, do you remember it? Command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will be laying up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God's saying the way you invest your money now is going to be stored up for treasure in heaven if you invest it God's way. Okay, It says instruct the rich. Let them not forget that they're not rich for their own sake. They're rich for others. Fourth, I think he, and this is one of his most fatal flaws, he only planned for the here and now. Does your plan only include the here and now? Um, He had a resource that was not spendable in eternity. You can't take it with you. He was woefully unprepared for the life to come. He had tons of stuff for this life. He had nothing for the next. And the verdict comes down from God. And God visibly steps into the story, interrupts the man's plans, and gives him his verdict. And his verdict is pretty simple. You fool. Now, I want to make sure everybody's clear. When God says this, you fool, this is a term of judgment, not an evaluation of a recent decision. Um, David, and we heard it this morning, I thank Tim Laudabaudier for sharing it. In uh, 1 Chronicles 20, David counted the fighting men, thinking, man, I got to know how many men we got. We got, we got a dynamite army. I'm going to count them. And God said, oh, no, you're not, you don't think you won those battles because of you guys, do you? And so God says that was wrong because it was motivated by a, not an honoring God motive, it was how big am I motive. Well, David recognized that quickly and said, I have been foolish. Well, that foolishness cost Israel 70,000 men. God killed 70,000 of them before David offered the sacrifice. That's pretty costly. Has anybody else made some foolish decisions that you wish you could take back? I have. I have been foolish, but God has never called me a fool. God never called David a fool. Being a fool means you've rejected God. You don't want anything to do with God. When God talks to you, you don't want to listen. You don't want to hear his warnings of flee destruction that's coming. That's what God calls a fool. And this is what he called this man. 
This man is not just foolish. He was a fool. And we've all heard the verse. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right? The fool finds pleasure in wickedness, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. See, this man acted without regard to his responsibility before an eternal God. And God did not, he did not do what God expected of him, and therefore God called him fool. Now, I just don't think that we, we think this might be a really good story for this guy, but doesn't apply to me. I think God has called many of the things I've done foolish. I just don't want to be in the camp of the fool. I don't want to do things that do not take God and my eternal perspective into consideration, because to do that puts me in the camp of the fool. Now, you do know that when he stepped in and ended this life, man's life, I don't think this is cause and effect. I don't think, because you spent your money bad, I killed you. I don't think that's what's Jesus' point. This man was just unaware that God had previously scheduled his departure. And God called his calendar book, yep, his time. And we all know in Hebrews it says we're all appointed once to die, right? That's what Scripture tells us. I think God has a calendar book with our date and time in it. I'm thankful I don't know it. I, would, I, I think I probably wouldn't act as wisely as I think I would if I knew it. I want to live every day like this could be the day, but I don't want to know the day. Right? Because he wants us to plan. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to have energy for the future. But if he cuts that short, that's his call. But all of us have a time in his calendar book that will not be adjusted. And this man operated without regard to that date. And he got called to his final exam before the throne of God, and he was unprepared. Will you get called for your final exam? And will you be prepared? Jesus is calling us to be prepared. Be rich towards God. We're going to talk about that in a second because I've got to move quickly. Well, we're not going to take it with us. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Um, there's no way that our stuff is going to make it to the life to come. It's not going to matter. In fact, we're going to be walking on gold. God's just going to make a point. The thing you treasured on earth, I want to make you walk on it from now on. Because you guys, in fact, I, I'm really thinking too that God's saying, I'm the treasure here. Not the street. Not the street. So let's just go quickly here. Because I think one of the things I want to do is that God wants to reward us and be rich towards God. So this is how I want to say it. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, that's the warning. Now read the warning with me. It says here. Then God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will de be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. 
You see, he's not condemning richness again. You can be rich and rich towards God too. If you're rich but are not rich towards God, you have a problem. I have a problem. And it says here, what does it mean to be rich towards God? I'll bet if I gave you a quiz right now, what does it mean to be rich towards God? I would get so many weird answers. This is not a term used very much in the Bible. Being rich towards God is, we've heard love God, trust God, obey God, uh, follow God, but rich towards God. What, what is Jesus saying? Well, I think it's really simple. When we keep God as our highest treasure and we are focused on honoring him, we will be laying up treasures in heaven. He's not saying have lots of treasures in heaven because that's the goal. No, he's saying honor me and by doing what I tell you, by following me, by obeying me, by doing all the things that you need to do, you will be laying up treasure in heaven where it will last. It will not fade. It will not perish. It will last forever. Well, now the question is, is where do we treasure our treasures? Jesus wasn't against treasuring up. He was about location. Right? He's not against treasure. In fact, if you look at this verse, it's really interesting. It says in Matthew 6, 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So the treasure's not the problem, but do you notice he says lay up treasures for yourself. He didn't, Jesus is commanding you to have more riches in heaven. Command. This isn't, hey, you ought to do good works and I'll put them in this big thing that we can all admire when you get here and it's, it's all for the whole collective good. No. There's going to be a bank account in heaven with your name on it that has your treasures placed in it that God wants to give you. He has good works. Already, Ephesians tell us he has good works already laid out for you. And if you do those, they will be rewarded. There's verse after verse, Matthew 10, 42. If you give even a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, you will have a reward. Why? God is a rewarder. What's it say in Hebrews? God is not unjust, right? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we believe it? Do we believe that it's okay to wait to get your treasures in eternity? See, a lot of us want to get our treasures now. We want like the, like the uh, what is it, the candy, now and later. Right? We want it both now and later. Well, God says, seek your treasures in heaven. Now, he's, he might bless the socks off you here, and you might be rich as can be here, but that doesn't prevent you from being rich towards God. So what was the man's big problem here? He failed to ask God, what should I do with this blessing? He failed to recognize the needs of others, and he forgot God and his eternity. Um, I'm just, I'm concerned. See, God is calling us to plan not only for our earthly retirements. He's not against that. He knows you need these things. He's not against planning for retirement, but he says if you only treasure things on earth, you will be a pauper 
if you're even in heaven. And if you're not rich towards God, you'll be like this fool and you will never make it. See, our fallen, fallen humans have a problem. It's like this. If a robber comes up to you and puts a gun to your body at some point and says, your money or your life, I think we all pretty much know what to do. What do you need? No heirloom ring is worth my life. My wallet and my credit cards are not worth my life. I will give them whatever they're asking for. But what do we do when God asks that question? Because that's the question Jesus poses. Are you going to love money? Or are you going to love God? Um, I implore us, really, me too, because greed can sneak in. I, I'm telling you, have you ever been where you took somebody out to dinner and you really want to do them good and you say come on let's go to dinner I'm going to take you to dinner and all four of the people you take order the most expensive thing on the menu part of my joy gets robbed I'm thinking what the world I'm here doing and all of a sudden that greedy thing just comes right out and my joy is stolen in a heartbeat because I really wasn't giving from a generous heart as I thought I was. Greed is so sneaky. It'll just, it'll just jump on you. And what I, I'm afraid of here is that real life does not exist in money and stuff. If I end this life with 50000 less dollars in my bank account, does God really care? But could I do more good if I did? Is the goal here to finish your life with as much money in your 401k to give to your kids as possible? I don't think so. I got to be careful. Well, it says here, no earthly goal or plan is complete unless it includes God and the earthly resources that God has blessed you with. So if you only have a plan for this life, I encourage you. The first step to plan to the next life is take the first gift given to you is Jesus Christ as your Savior. Nothing else will matter. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have a plan. Period. Once you have Jesus, he'll give you wisdom on what kind of a plan you need for your stuff. Jesus is first. Well, I'm going to say this. Being rich only in this world but not rich towards God makes us all fools. And that plan will not last for eternity. In addition to the applications that I want to make from this text to our own lives, let me just say this. I hope we all fight the lure of greed, the unquenchable desire for more for me, and instead use our resources to lay up treasure in heaven. And as so, I want to address this lasting impact campaign. See, as more details of this campaign come out, and um, we're all asked to make a commitment of what we think we're going to do for this campaign for the next three years. You know, we've just come through 12 hours of prayer, and it was marvelous. Um, and we have two more weeks until these commitments are going to be made. Um, 
I'm convinced God has great things in store for Valley Bible Church and great things that we've already accomplished because people like you have been faithful to listen to God's word and say, I'm going to be part of a lasting impact. But over the next few weeks, uh, before you even put a pen to paper to try to figure out, I know Tim says that, you know, they're still praying about what to do. I think that's wonderful. But I would say it this way. I'd like you to do two things for me before you write any amount that you might want to give to this campaign. One, take stock and find out what God has already given you. It says, do not forget all his benefits. I think if we don't remember what he's done for us, we're not going to be in a very good position to give anything. Thank him for what he's done for you already. Just spend some time being grateful for where you are. If I'm not content where I am at, I'll never be content with what I want. Remember? The second thing I would ask you to do is ask yourself a question about how you should participate. Uh, But don't ask the question, how much should I give? We just learned in this passage, the man asked himself, what should I do? Not a good strategy. Don't ask yourself what you should do. Ask God. God, you've given me everything I have right now for a reason. What would you have me do? What do you expect of me in response to this campaign? That's the right question. That's Jesus' message. That's allowing God to let us be rich toward him through obedience. See, God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. He doesn't care how much you give. He wants your heart. The money is not the point. If your heart is in the right place, he's satisfied. Well, as you leave today, I know this has not been an easy subject. Hearing about greed, hearing about money, hearing about what we should give, sometimes these are hard subjects, especially for a materialistic America. But I hope as you leave, you remember that greed is dangerous to your soul. Greed is dangerous. But life cannot be found in money or things. It never will. And no matter what you think you're hoping for, it won't deliver. And third, no plan, no financial plan will be complete unless it includes God and eternity. I pray that I would listen to my own message because I got a greedy heart at times. And God has to just thump me on the side of the head and said, do you see what you're doing right now? Who are you thinking of? You or someone else? And I I just hope I, I apply my own message to my life. Father, please keep our hearts from the trap of greed. And help me to live a life that demonstrates how I treasure you as my greatest treasure. You are my greatest treasure. And by so doing, by obeying you, by listening to you, by following you, by serving you, by spending my time in the kingdom, lay up treasures for myself just as Jesus commanded me to do. Let everyone here, Father, find that joy of being rich towards God. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.